Hey everyone, it's Hillary Shepard. You might remember me from Star Trek DS9, where I played Lieutenant Hoya and Lauren, and you're listening to Trek Untold. Hello and welcome to Trek Untold, the Star Trek podcast that goes beyond the stars. I'm your host, Matthew Kaplowitz. Today's guest is a multifaceted woman who was born and raised in New York City, much like myself. Well, that is to say, the part about growing up in New York, not the multifaceted woman part. She's been a singer in a band, an actress in film and television, lyricist, improv comedian, and even board game maker. That person is Hilary Shepard. And fans of Deep Space Nine may remember her best from her brief appearance as Ensign Hoya in the Season 5 episode The Ship, but likely know her as Lauren, the overly amorous, genetically enhanced human from the episodes Statistical Probabilities and Chrysalis in Season 6 and 7, respectively. A genius with the mad intellect of Hannibal Lecter and the sex appeal of Marilyn Monroe, Lauren had an eye for men of all species, but never let that get in the way of helping her friends or solving any calculations thrown in her way. Outside of her appearances in Star Trek, Hillary has appeared in films and TV shows including Full House, Murder, She Wrote, Family Ties, Murphy Brown, The Golden Girls, Roswell, Crossing Jordan, CSI, Diagnosis Murder, and even a Meatloaf music video, which yes, we do talk about today. But most of you may remember her best from her role as one of the best villains to ever hunt the Power Rangers, and that would be Divatox from Power Rangers Turbo who would also return briefly in Power Rangers in Space to terrorize another group of spandex-wearing martial arts teens. She's beaming with a positive energy that's going to make you feel as happy as she sounds, and her enthusiasm and love of what she does is totally infectious. Hillary's a fan favorite at conventions, and after spending some time with her for this episode, it's easy to understand why. So get ready for a really fun hour with a performer who has done it all and then some. Before we begin, I'd like to remind you to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Trek Untold. All one word, no spaces. If you want to check out some of our Trek Untold merchandise, you can also do that on our Teespring store, which you can find on teespring.com slash stores slash Trek Untold, where we've got shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, tote bags, and all sorts of other things available to proudly display how much you like this podcast. If you're having trouble finding the link, just check us out again on social media, and you'll see us posting about it from time to time there as well. You can also support our show by visiting patreon.com slash trekuntold. If you're already following us or offering us your support, thank you for your help. Most of all, if you can't support us financially, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. This helps more people find out about the show and helps spread awareness of Trek Untold. I'd also like to make a quick shout out to our friends at Triple Fiction Productions, who make some great 3D printed Star Trek inspired products for toys and people, but you'll hear more about them a little bit later on. Now, without further ado, let's beam up this week's guest. Computer, access interview file. Affirmative. Initiating program. And welcome back to Trek Untold, and now joining me on the other side of the line, Star Trek fans may remember her from her appearance on Deep Space Nine, but I think there's a lot of other folks out there who may know her best as Divatox from Power Rangers. And of course, that is Hillary Shepard. Hillary, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing great. All right, so let's just jump right on into things. And I want to ask you the first question that we ask all of our guests here. And what is your first memory of Star Trek? Oh, my gosh. So I grew up in the 60s. So I, you know, watched the original series. And I, you know, watched it religiously, of course. I loved it. And I was really sad when it got canceled. Um, I'm trying to think what my favorite episode was i think it was when um captain kirk goes back he goes back in time where he's on earth and he falls in love with this woman but then they can't be together and i I love that unrequited romantic love type situation but i love sci-fi and uh, i loved it it was it was great to watch it you know unfold that show and then back then when things disappeared you just never saw it again so i'm so glad that we got to see it for years and years and that episode was uh, The City on the Edge of Forever, which also had Joan Collins as that love interest. That's right. Oh, I just got chills. Ooh, yes. I loved it. Me too. That's a great episode. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes. So let's talk a little bit about uh, your origins before we jump into your acting and everything else you've done in your career, because you've got a pretty diverse career as well. <laughs> you grew up in New York, right? Yeah, I grew up on Long Island. and um, oh, So we're basically neighbors. I, I'm here in Bayside. Oh, my mom's from Sunnyside. Oh, very nice. <laughs> yes. And um, I actually always wanted to be an actress, and we didn't know anyone, obviously, on Long Island that was an actor. And there wasn't any kind of social media, obviously, back then. So it was really just a foreign thing. And I just, um, even when it wasn't cool in school, I did all the plays. I went to an all-girls camp in the summer, and I played. I was really tall, so I was always the male lead and everything. And um, I just knew that's all I was going to do. So I studied with, um, I, I studied in New York, and then I went when I went to college at Northwestern and USC. That's all I did. And then I joined the Groundlings, which is a comedy improv group. And at the same time, I had an all-girl rock and roll band. That oh yeah, we're going to talk about that. So. Yeah, I had so many things going on. But yeah, as a kid, it was just I was a really weird, strange looking child with glasses and braces and the whole thing. And I was always like, I'm going to be an actress someday. And everyone's like, that's nice. Here you are. <laughs> but um, it was really good because I had to develop a personality because I had this beautiful older sister who was so sweet. But everyone was like, hey, Lori, where's your sister? Where's your sister? Because everyone was obsessed with her. So I had to be the funny, you know, cut up in the corner to get anyone to pay attention to me. So that's how I honed my comedy skills. Huh. <laughs> And acting. So now, uh, were your parents involved in the creative world as well, or what do they do for a living? No, no, not at all. We didn't know anyone in the in the business. My dad um, was uh, he was in the ma clothing manufacturing business. He had a really successful company. He was totally self made from like a poor family in Minnesota. My mother was uh, um, you know an art teacher until and put my dad through law school. And then she was just a stay-at-home mom and a huge, larger-than-life personality. If you guys um, have Instagram, check out Judaisms.no offense. <laughs> um, I do my weekly Zoom calls with my mother on it, and she's like one of those, you know, Long Island Jewish mothers that seems like a stereotype, but that's exactly who she is. So, um, yeah, we grew up absolutely in an artistic family, but not any nobody was an actor that we even knew. I remember my dad played um, polo and he played polo with Burt Backrack in the 70s, who was a famous kind of singer songwriter back then. And I remember him arriving from Hollywood and I got dressed in my like best, you know, daisy clips in my hair and matching daisy outfit and with my glasses and braces. And I went to the polo fields and I like, got in all the pictures and I was totally expecting him to discover me and take me home back to Hollywood with him because I thought that's how it works. You just get discovered. And I was so pissed when he left i was like what is he blind didn't he notice that i'm supposed to be a famous actress and he's supposed to take me back to hollywood i was completely delusional on how the whole thing worked so how did you go from new york city to california since that's where you did most of your uh, studying to become an actress right uh yeah i i always wanted to make it to california but my parents wouldn't wouldn't let me go off to college that far so first i went to northwestern which was halfway in chicago and i really did not like that school it was freezing cold in chicago i didn't fit in it was very straight laced and I grew up, you know, in New York City, which had like the greatest city in the world. And Chicago is great. I love it. But um, I didn't I, I didn't take to it as well. So um, I auditioned to to get out of there. I auditioned at USC. To the, the, they had a very um, incredible BFA program and they only took, you know, one transfer a year and they took me. So my parents had to let me go. So I finally got to California and I never came back. <laughs> 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 I think you might be the first person we've spoken to that's done improv. And you said you, you mentioned you did it with the Groundlings. So uh, yeah. just tell us a little bit about that experience and uh, what you learned while doing improv. Oh, improv, it's the most amazing thing. I mean, you go on stage at night, people paid you know good money to see you, and they throw something at you, and you have to be on your toes and be hilariously funny. And it, it teaches you just to I, – I was so brave after that. I mean, I could do anything. I was never intimidated on the sets because I knew I, I had a quick – you know, I had this training. I trained for like two years or maybe a year before you, you audition and audition until they let you into the company. And, you know, there was I'd seen Paul Rubens do Pee Wee Herman there. I'd just gone to a show and I got so intrigued by it. But it's been training, the best training I ever had. I mean, I also did a lot of you know non-comedic acting, but that was really my sweet spot. That's why it was so amazing to get, you know, something like Star Trek and Roswell, things that I wasn't funny in because I really didn't know that was my, my strong suit. But um, and even when I did Power Rangers, I, I, I they let me create that character and I infused so much comedy, you know, into the character and they really let me fly with that. And I improvised most of my I improvised most of my part on that movie, 
But um, yeah, I think it's invaluable for any people who want to be actors. It's still around. There's a school. You take the classes, and then you, you know, you get to perform, and it's it's really, really, it was great. So for our acting students out there, maybe you can share with us like a specific thing that you learned as part of the Groundlings that you've held on to and that's helped you with other roles in the future. Well, number one, it gave me confidence. I knew I could make make strangers laugh on my feet and things. So it, it, it raises your self-doubt because as an actor, you always have imposter syndrome. You're like, oh, my God, why, I want this job. And then you get it. You're like, why did they hire me? I can't do this. You get, you know, intimidated. So it really helped me with that. And um, sorry, there's a helicopter going over my house. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> it's because they hear me on the they're phone. Flying on, it's probably those damn power rangers. No. <laughs> and um, so, um, and then also the biggest thing they teach you, which everyone knows about improv, is yes and. So you you always agree. If someone says, you've got a purple shirt on, you're, you can't go like, uh, no, it's blue. You have to go, yes, and it's my favorite shirt. You always have to yes and. So it puts you into the scene. And it also, you it puts you in the here and now when, whenever you act, the best thing to be is present in the moment and listening to the other person. So you really have to listen to your partner to make the story go forward. So that made me really a good listener and stay in the moment. Yes. And outside of acting, you also pursued a scene. <laughs> I, I did that. I did that. Uh, outside of that, you also worked on a uh, band, the American girls. So you go, you're doing improv comedy or you're becoming an actress and then you're also a singer. That so. is it sucks back then because nobody did it back then. Like I was, we were the first. We were a girl band that act. We actually got a movie deal before we got a record deal. Uh, my best friend was Daryl Hannah at the time, and we were writing songs together. And a big uh, manager, Miles Copeland, who managed the police, heard our heard us sing together and wanted to do a band around us. Daryl was originally in the band, but got really famous with Splash during the band and had to yeah. leave, which really. Sucked. But, you know, she's still she's still mad at me for that whole debacle. I'm like, you, but you're a huge ma- movie star, like settle down. But um, it really wasn't a plus. I would go into auditions. They'd be like, what are you, an actress or a singer? You've got to pick one. Now everyone does everything and has clothing lines. You know, the closest it came about that time, a couple of years later, Madonna came out in one movie and she, you know, she was doing both, but she never, she, her movie career didn't take off because She's a terrible actress. She was good in Desperately Seeking Susan. She was okay, but she's never been good in anything since. But back then, you just couldn't you couldn't do both, you know. And um, it, w- it really made me feel more like a dilettante than someone talented. I also wrote a lot of songs for movies, like in True Beverly Hills. Um, yeah, I love that which song. Became a class. I wrote the Cookie song. I've written either. I have uh, other songs in a movie called Tough Guys. I, you know, I it, and I wish. It was more, you know, looked on as an asset, which my agents really never did, which is so strange to me. But it just didn't happen back then. And you mentioned Daryl Hannah. I know you've done a lot of things with her outside of acting, but uh, I'm curious how you actually first met her. How did you become friends with Daryl Hannah? Uh, we met we met um, in Chicago when I was at Northwestern. She was still in high school and I was a freshman. I, she was 16 and I was 17. And we, we randomly met at a concert and we'd be just, it was like we had long lost best friends. You know, she hadn't, she was still in high school. She wasn't a movie star yet, you know, and um, she graduated, moved out, went to USC. And then I went to USC. By the time I got there, she'd already had to drop out because she was a huge movie star. <laughs> she took her two steps. She was so beautiful and so sweet. People would chase her down the street and, you know, be like, please be in my movie. And her one of her first big breaks was this movie, Summer Lovers. She came to visit me. I was at Warner Brothers doing like a tiny part on something. And she came to have lunch with me in the commissary. And she gets a note from Randall Kleiser, who had just done Blue Lagoon, to the blonde in the red dress. Are you an actress? If so, please report to the Blue Lagoon office. And I was like, I think that note was for me, the brunette in the blue dress. But she just literally, you know, I was like, hello, I'm the working actor over here. You know, and she just she was just that amazing, you know. So let's take one step backwards again real quick, just uh, about the American <laughs> Girls. Uh, did you guys do much touring? I saw uh, on YouTube, yeah. you can listen to one of your songs, but did you guys actually tour? Yes, we did one tour. We opened for a band called Lords in the New Church. It was a huge punk band. I ended up, um, they told us, don't look at those boys, don't talk to them. They set their <laughs> last master on fire. They, you know, they've ended in jail. And of course, I ended up marrying the drummer and having two children with him. But, um <laughs> So, um, yeah, we did. We toured all over America. We were supposed to go on a tour with R.E.M. on Europe, and I think that fell through. We played with the Thompson Twins we opened for. Um, we, 
in, in local clubs, we played a lot of local clubs in LA with like Guns N' Roses and people who aren't famous yet. And then, yeah, we toured with Lords of the New Church and it was amazing. We were in this little tiny van. They were in a huge tour bus. We were in a crappy little van. And we had to drive. We had a driver, but he was nuts. And he kept having these like flashbacks from Vietnam. So we had to get rid of him. We drove ourselves. There was no GPS. We had a map and we would end up, you know, in the middle of these tiny little towns, you know, in, in the middle of nowhere. And we, we were all in our full regalia. We always back then we looked like rock and roll stars at all times. You, even if it was 100 degrees out, you had your leather on your giant hair. We get out on these towns and people would like start shutting their doors and like putting clothes signs <laughs> on the window and stuff. It was a really great way to see America though. I'd wake up and be in another little place. You know, we played small clubs across America and it was really fun. Well, that's why you guys were the American girls after all. We were. Yeah, we were li- really called. It was supposed to be tongue in cheek because we, each of us were, you know, we're all just different ethnicities and we wore ripped up Girl Scout uniforms and had like weenie roasts with real weenies. But, um, <laughs> Then the, the Girl Scouts gave us like a cease and desist and the brownies, so we had to change our uniforms. <laughs> so again, we mentioned you're doing all these different things at once. We just talked a little bit about your singing career, but uh, back to acting. What was your first professional acting gig? Gosh, oh, I know what it was. I was at USC, and I got like one line in a big Warner Brothers movie. Uh, the director had seen me in a play there where I played the Queen of Hearts um, in Alice in Wonderland, which really came to play back. I realized when I did Diva Talks, I did a lot of the stuff I did in that play. I actually had 10 lines, but they cut it off. It was a blind date and the guy, they cut it all together. So you have, I had one line and I got my SAG card. I flew, got flown to New York to do this movie. And um, that was my very first part. And that was a uh, soup for one, right? Soup for one. Yeah. That has a bunch of people who are also in Star Trek. In fact, uh, Saul Rubinek. Uh, yes. Did you get to work with him at all? Yes. Yes. He was my date. He was my blind date. Yep. Uh, How'd you and like working with him? Years. He was amazing. I mean, it was his first starring role. No one had heard of him. He was from Canada. It was my very first part. And of course, the day of, I get a giant zit on my face because I'm so freaking nervous. <laughs> and these old women, these really old women who've done all the Woody Allen movies in New York, um, they were makeup and hair and they pull, they pulled it and it just started bleeding everywhere it was like a disaster oh. and he was really sweet and patient because i'm like just shoot me from this side you know the whole thing but um it ended up being really great i had one line it was nothing you know but <laughs> for me it was like the hugest deal because i was like i'm an a- i'm acting in new york in a movie you know it's really fun so i want to ask about one of your other earlier roles as well uh from a movie in 1985 called private resort and that was a Johnny uh, Depp movie. You know where I'm going with this. Yeah. I watched the trailer. That's got to be the most 1980s thing I've ever 1980s in my life. But it looked like a lot of fun. I believe you did some scenes with Rob Morrow. So what do you remember about that movie and a young Johnny Depp? Um, oh, my God. First of all, he was so gorgeous. I remember being like, and he, he was so sweet. He just moved there from Florida. He was not famous yet. I think he'd done one movie, but he was breathtakingly beautiful. Tiny, small, smaller than me, you know, because I'm like five foot ten. And um, he was married. And uh, at a very, he was young and uh, he couldn't drive. So he, oh, he could drive, but he was afraid to drive on the freeway. So we Smart lived right next, near, so I would pick him up and I would get on the freeway to get us to the set and he would hide under my seat, like freaking out every time I changed lanes. I remember <laughs> that about him. And I'm still friends with his ex-wife, Lori Depp, to this day. And whenever I see him, he's always very sweet and always remembers me. And, um, yeah, it was a huge deal. We were all, you know, we we were on location together. It was a lot of shooting days. Um, And, yeah, it was was fun. It was really fun. Just interesting watching him become a huge movie star. And Rob, too. Rob became, like, a big TV star. Um, I'm not sure if I'm confusing you with someone else in the movie because I was only able to find the trailer, but there's a character who I think is you. It looks like she's like exposing herself to Rob. Was that, is that you or is that different? Uh, character? Yeah, that was me. That was me. That was me. Yeah. So, so yeah. I to, got to my family. Yeah. And, so what's, what's yeah. that like? So it's, it's, yeah, it's fairly early in your career and you're doing basically a, a that was horrible. Yeah. I was really pressured to it. I shouldn't have done it. I got the part and then they pressured me into it. And it was my first big, starring role in a comedy and i remember just feeling like oh, i really don't want to do this but i guess i have to to make it you know and i just uh, i just wish i had better advice because i had already signed on the movie and i really didn't have to you know and it was just it was just creepy and horrible yeah i'm sorry i saw that and i was like i was wondering if that was actually you or not i'm, I'm sorry to hear that you had to do that um thankfully today things have changed and hopefully have gotten better for folks but um you know at least there's some positive memories besides that one horrible thing from it yeah there were there were 
So you were also in one of our other favorite non-Star Trek shows that we love to talk about here on Trek Untold, and that was The Golden Girls. And uh, you were in the season four episode, Rites of Spring. You played Avon, the aerobics instructor who helps the ladies get fit. What do you recall about being on that set? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It was amazing. I mean, that was a huge phenomenon, that show. And I remember auditioning for it against all these really, I didn't work out, really, uh, all these workout people. Could have fooled me. I know I, I, I did go to, I think I went to, I actually did go to Jane Fonda classes and she actually taught the classes, Jane Fonda's workout, the classes I went to, she really did. But, um, it was so fun. And I remember lining up with all the women to, because you shoot in front of a live audience and they were all so sweet to me. And I remember lining up with everyone, like get to go out onto the stage and I'm like, is this my life for real? Like, it was so cool. I loved it. And it's this part is like people freak out to this day. You know, I, every time it's on TV, people text me or Instagram me or, you know, they it's it's really held up. And my outfit, my 80s workout outfit is the best. Oh, my yeah. Hair. My, yeah, that was really fun. I just actually got to watch it. In fact, as part of me doing research for this, and I always love getting an excuse to watch the Golden Girls as part of anything. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I, I love the outfits that their the ladies are also wearing too. Did you ever see oh, any of the so- any of the clashes between B. Arthur and Betty White? I heard those two didn't get along on set. Did that happen on the no, day you were there? I didn't see it at all. I just remember Betty White was the nicest one of all of them. And I remember B. Arthur stood uncomfortably close to me all the time. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> but no, Be- it, I didn't see that at all. Not at all. And how tall is B. Arthur? Because she's a pretty tall woman, and you yourself are oh, also fairly tall. Five ten. She was towering over me. Wow. Yeah. What's that like to have B. Arthur that close to you and that high above you, for lack of a better term? I remember, she had a huge goiter in her neck, and my face, my eyes were like right at her goiter. That's all I remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you also did two episodes of Full House in 1992. You were Julie Hartman, a local DJ. And you got to do some scenes yeah. with John Stamos and Dave Coulier. That must have been a lot of fun also. Yeah, that was. That was really fun, too. I mean, you don't know that these things are classics until they are. I was also on Family Ties with Michael J. Fox. Yes. And also, years later, I did a show with the Olsen twins where they had their own show called So Little Time. So I got to work with them again. And they lived right near me. And my daughters went to school with them. And they were always so sweet and nice and remembered me. And um, I remember my daughters came to visit me on the set when I did So Little Time. And they were obsessed with the Olsen twins. That's the only time they ever cared when I was in something. (laughs) They just totally ignored everything else. And um, including the Power Rangers, because they just weren't into it, which was really annoying. And, um, well, my my little one was so, she was a newborn, but my five-year-old could have cared less. But they came on the set and they kept asking me, are those the real Olsen twins or are they in costumes? And they kept looking like behind them to see if there was, you know, zippers, you know, if they were going to zip out of their costumes, like in Disneyland. (laughs) They just couldn't believe they were the real ones. So uh, what do you remember about John Stamos and Dave Clear in particular? Okay. Well, he was hilariously funny. I really liked him. But the one thing I'd never watched the show. I mean, back then you didn't have like DVRs and things. So if you weren't at home, which I wasn't in my twenties watching TV, I didn't really know, you know, all these shows were became classics to me later, but I didn't know what I was dealing with. And I remember I had to say Jesse Stopanopoulos and he kept being like, that girl can't pronounce my name. She's not a fan. She doesn't watch the show. He was really pissed <laughs> about that. Like, sorry, I never saw the show before. Oops. All right. So, We've now come to around 1996, and that is when Hilary Shepard makes her debut in the Star Trek universe. And you were in the episode <laughs> Season 5, uh, The Ship. We actually interviewed uh, Caitlin mm-hmm. Hopkins, who was also in that episode. She played the Vorta Kilana. But you were uh, Ensign Hoya, I believe. You were a Benzite who was piloting That's a right. runabout. And uh, you didn't last too long in the episode, unfortunately. You don't make it past the first act of it. But nope. uh, yeah, well, let's talk about just getting into the Star Trek world. So how did you get cast for this role? I got cast because my one of my best friends, Laura Bear, who was also my writing partner, was her husband was Iris Stephen Bear, and I kept bugging him and bugging him to be on the show. And finally, I didn't even have to. I don't think I had to audition. No, they oh, just wow. gave me that part, and I was. It was amazing. I but then I got really nervous because I'm like, well, maybe I'm not even right for this part, and maybe I'm not good in this part. But anyway, I had to get there at four in the morning. And put all they had to do with that crazy makeup on me. And by the time they finished, they couldn't really write my voice. They couldn't really hear my voice. So anyway, they had they had sent me the pages the, uh, the couple of days before. And it was a really hard dialogue. And it was like three pages long of me just talking. And then I die. 
So I get on the set and they're like, listen, we have one take to do this and you can't mess it up because we're going to blow up your ship at the end. So you can't mess it up. So they're like, okay, action. So I'm like, I can't hear anything. I'm like, and they're like, cut. What are you, what are you saying? I'm like on oh, the script. They're like, that's the old script. You didn't get the new pages. I'm like, no, no one ever sent them to me. So like, they were like so mad, not at me, but whoever didn't do it, but they're like, listen, we're really sorry. You have 15 minutes. We got to shoot this. Can you just try to memorize it early right now? And that's when, and please, and, and on Star Trek, you cannot improvise. You literally can't say and instead of the, if you want to change anything, they have to, they have to go down to like the writer's office and ask, and you can't, you cannot mess with their words. So I, I had so much pressure on me and, and I just remember like sweating under my thing and they're like, you know, don't, it's not your fault, but you got to do this. And I, you know, I did it, but I just remember thinking, oh my God, they're never going to hire, you know, they probably hate me. I'm so embarrassed in front of Ira, but you know, it, it, it worked, but I, I felt guilty even though they sent me the wrong script. And, um, they called me in and they're like, we have to, you have to do uh, ADR now because we couldn't, you know, your voice was like this. So it all worked out anyway. And I did it really well. And I got to, I had to redo my voice anyway in post because it was so muffled. Mm. And then that's why when year, a couple of years later, they asked me to do this other part. I was shocked because I thought they hate me. That <laughs> part I had to audition for. See, mm -hmm. was this the first time you ever had to wear heavy prosthetics for a role? Well, you know what? I don't remember because I did scanner scanner cops and in, i don't know if that was before or after and scanner cops my head explodes so i had to have a full body you know cast made of me where they put that plaster on your face and you cannot breathe with the and it's on your neck and you're you have straws coming out of your nose and if you you freak out you have to do it again it was i've had to do that and i had to do that on friday the 13th as well that tv series so i've done heavy prosthetics bunches of times this was not heavy prosthetics prosthetics compared to what I had to do for mm, Friday the 13th like and scanner because I had to make those I hated doing that when they put that plaster cast on you oh it's the worst now when you film these scenes for this episode we're talking about here for the ship um pretty much it's you and I think one other ensign is on board the ship with you did you get to interact mm -hmm. though with any of the other stars of the show no not at all I remember I was like walk to the set they're like shoot this now don't mess it up you got you know we have one take and then, you know, that was it. No, I was just sitting there. I, it was literally, I was there all morning getting my, my, uh, makeup on. But then when we shot it, I remember it was like probably 11 o'clock in, in the morning. I'm like, I'm done. Oh, cool. You know, <laughs> so weird, you know, but no, I didn't meet anybody, you know. Trek Untold will return momentarily. Trek Untold is brought to you by Triple Fiction Productions. If you're a Star Trek cosplayer looking for props, or toy collector looking to spice up your shelves, Triple Fiction Productions has you covered. Triple Fiction Productions produces affordable and unique 3D-printed Trek-inspired products from the original series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, and the movies. You can expect the same amount of care and attention to detail in any of the items in their catalog, whether it's a prop replica for use in a fan film, or part of a cosplay, or accessories and playsets for figures from Playmates, Migos, or Diamond Select. Own your very own tricorder or phaser rifle with working lights, the bridge of the Enterprise E for your Playmates figures, or any other item from countless species and ships from the Star Trek universe. All products are 3D printed in the USA and are constantly evolving and improving based on fan feedback. To learn more about their products, visit them at triple-fictionproductions.net or on Facebook at facebook.com slash triplefictionproductions. Triple Fiction Productions, taking Star Trek where no 3D printer has gone before. Wrestling is on two levels right now. Either you all in and having a good time with what's going on and enjoying the body slams, headlocks, submissions, and the tope suicidas, or you're just pissed the hell off at what's going on in the wrestling landscape. What kind of wrestling podcast has the same kind of dilemmas? Your guys here at Turnbuckle Tabloid. Jada Rest Santine Olski is here to bring to you the ridiculousness, the buffoonery, the nonsense, and all that that is just straight wrestling. We're here with that opinionated New York swag and the ridiculousness that goes along with it. Get us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play Music, Google Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts. Turnbuckle Tabloid, you don't want to miss it. And we're here every week, unlike some wrestling promotions. Laters. We now return to Trek Untold. So, Hillary, you mentioned you came back then to do uh, Season 6. You returned as Lauren, who was an augmented human. 
She shows up in the episode Statistical Probabilities, and you again played her later mm-hmm. in Season 7 for Chrysalis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned you already auditioning for her. Yeah, what, do you, what do you remember about Lauren? Well, I remember they described her as a, she's an infomaniac and the smartest woman in the universe. And so my husband at the time, this is why he's my ex, said, that's the opposite of you. You're really going to have to act. I'm like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> so anyway, I remember it's my take on it was almost like Hannibal Lecter. I I remember he was so scary and so smart because all these people are dangerous as well. So I remember going to my audition and when I walked in, there was Potsy from, um, you know, Oh yeah, Anson Mount, he directed that episode of Happy, yeah, he's from yeah, Happy he Days. I'm like I'm like Potsy's gonna direct me, really? <laughs> but I had to keep a straight face and um I just played it very different than everyone else they told me. I played her very still. I um just looked looked everyone in the eye. I was very direct and um they just said they really loved my take on it. So that was great because I really felt like I earned that part. I had to, you know, audition and and um that was really exciting. And then they changed a lot of the dialogue because they loved my interpretation. So they made it to fit me. And I remember Anson wouldn't, I was always laying down. If you notice in the first episode, I was always laying down. I was the first person to ever get beamed down, beamed up or beamed down, <laughs> laying down. Yeah. He wanted me to be like, like a kitty cat. You know, that's what I was Interesting. like. I was like Hannibal Lecter meets a kitty cat, you know? And then, um, yeah, so he wouldn't let me sit up oh, yeah. <laughs> the I- second time I went, I, I think I first one. I think first one you danced in. I think the second one you yeah, sang. Yeah, we'll, we'll cover all that stuff. <laughs> and, I, and I said it was Anson Williams. Uh, sorry, it's Anson Williams on Anson Mount. I, I always get them confused. That's right. and, yeah, Anson Williams. Yeah. Somehow I get them confused, even though they're completely different people. Um, <laughs> as you mentioned, you know, you had your very interesting interpretation of Lauren. But uh, I'm curious, like, what did you pull from for yourself to actually play the character? Aside from Hannibal Lecter, was there someone else that you pulled from to get the more um, amorous part of her? No. Yeah, my cat. My cat. <laughs> I was going to say like Marilyn Manson or something like that, but no, it's actually your cat. No, no, no. Okay, my cat. Or Marilyn Monroe. Oh my God, I'm saying the wrong names right now. (laughs) No, not at all. Not at all. Just my cat. And um, yeah, and a little bit of Catwoman. I I was obsessed with um, Catwoman from the original Batman series, and I used that. I used her, and I also used that when I played Diva Talk. So Lauren was part of this, as they called them on the show, the Jack Pack, a group of genetically engineered (laughs) augments who were brought to D-Space-9 to get some help from Dr. Bashir. And uh, this self-proclaimed group of mutants consisted of Tim Ransom as Jack, Faith C. Saley as Serena, mm-hmm. and uh, the mm-hmm. late Michael Keenan as Patrick. And I got to say, like, rewatching yeah. these episodes, you guys had such an amazing rapport together. Did that come from rehearsals, if there were rehearsals? Or was that just natural for you guys to come across no, on that screen? you really don't have rehearsals. You literally get on the set, and then you, you rehearse as in so much as you run it, and they tell you where you're going to stand. And I mean, we had crazy dialogue. I, I had to speak. I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. And you have to really sound like you know what you're talking about. So we all really had to buckle down and concentrate. And I thought it was so well cast. I, I, I loved working with these people. They were all so sweet. We all would eat together. And and I remember after we shot, everyone's like, you guys have amazing chemistry. We're going to bring you back, you know, and 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 it was, I was really happy when they did. Um I thought I was amazed at everybody. I thought everybody was really, really good in their in their jobs, and it makes it elevates your game when everybody's so good on the set, including you know all the obviously the regulars on the show are amazing actors and and really into their jobs. So I, and I you know I loved um, Sadig, you know who, who I had to be obsessed with. He was so sweet because it was embarrassing. I was like hitting on him, and you know, and he just took it really well, and we had great chemistry, you know, and. Um, it was really great when when you're working with such a finely oiled machine and everybody's on their game. It's just like nothing better when you're an actor. Yeah, what do you remember about the first time meeting Sadig? I uh, remember thinking, "Wow, he this is not going to be hard to, to try to hit on him the whole time." <laughs> <laughs> and he was just very humble, very sweet. You know, I've been on shows where you're the guest star and everyone's like, "You're just here for the day, you know, the week." Like, you're not one of us. It wasn't like that at all. He wanted to rehearse. He wanted to, you know, talk about our characters. He, you know, every he, he really was into it and wanted to, you know, do the best job that we could. And he made everyone feel really comfortable. Yeah, I was really impressed with him. I'd heard that uh, you had a tough time doing one of those scenes with Alexander, with, with Sadig, when you had to dance with him. Uh, can you tell us oh, about yeah. that? <laughs> I'm the hugest klutz that ever lived. I might have looked like an answer, but I cannot move. And... 
Ira Bear's wife, Laura, who was a good friend of mine, they she's an amazing ballet dancer and choreographer, and she came in to choreograph the scene, and she's like, oh, Jesus, because she knows me. <laughs> so they had a huge crane shot set up and all this stuff, and I kept stepping all over his feet. They're like, kill the crane shot. Like, you know, just show, just shoot her from the waist up. I cannot. I'm the biggest klutz that ever lived. It's terrible. I'm a lefty. I don't know right, right from my left. Even, you know, in workout classes, everyone's going to the right. I'm going to the left. So <laughs> it was just a disaster. But it was funny. I mean, and luckily it was Laura who was choreographing it. She just thought it was hilarious, you know. And while we're discussing these mildly embarrassing stories about Deep Space Nine before we get to the more uh, nitty-gritty <laughs> stuff here, uh, in Chrysalis, you also had to do some singing in that episode. And I heard you also had uh, a few issues with that part, too, right? Oh, no, no, that wasn't it. Uh, Faith and I could sing. And we that was great. We, we It was it was a really hard aria. And they, they sent us, you know, to like in, in Paramount, they had like a music area and there's some person was teaching it to us and you know it's very precise and it has to be on point and nobody could sing but me and faith so when we shot it everyone's like you know faith and i are like perfectly you know tuned together and everyone's like <gasps> so we're like that's not gonna work so they we reshot it and faith and i got to sing but everyone else got their voices dubbed <laughs> uh. It sounded really great in the end results. So I was impressed, was but now I know the yeah, secret. So we, we, we went into the studio and Faith and I got to sing with like professional singers, you know. And um, luckily they let us sing because they realized we could because I would have been mad if someone else sang for me. But And the other people were very funny about it. They knew they couldn't sing and, they, and we had to be perfect at everything genetically engineered. So they were good sports about it. But it was really funny. I've heard that the Deep Space Nine set in particular was more of like a serious set in a lot of ways. Uh, and the two episodes that you did here as Lauren are a little bit more lighthearted. Uh, so how did you find the set environment? How did it feel to you? Yeah, I know. You know what? It We had so much work to do. We had so much dialogue. We had, it was, you know, we were just working the whole time. It was a very nice set. Everybody was sweet to us. It wasn't a scary set. There's no idiots or assholes on the set, but it's very serious. And um, also you do not change one word. So you've got to get your dialogue precisely and i'm used to improvising and being funny and adding this and so i had to really you know show restraint so we were everybody was very serious but it was it wasn't like stressful it was just more we just knew we had to buckle down i remember they had great food and then i remember there was um fans that would come to the set and deliver like homemade cookies and beautiful things to everyone because there were so many fans i think someone won a contest and got to come on the show and you know i i remember that but it was, I love, the environment was great. It wasn't oppressive or anything. So all those two episodes you did as Lauren, uh, one of them was directed by Jonathan West, but uh, I want to ask you a little more about Anson Williams, who we mentioned, of course, Potsy from Happy Days. Uh, he did a few <laughs> episodes of DS9 and Voyager. Uh, what was it like being directed by Potsy? At first I was like, do I want to take direction from Potsy? <laughs> like, hello. <laughs> but he was actually really good. Yeah, I liked his ideas and it was, it was interesting. And he, he worked hard, you know, to try to not be Potsy. So, you know. Uh, he overcame that so yeah he, he was he was good how would you describe his style of directing was he like an actor's director or is he a director's yes. director oh definitely definitely an actor's director actors who become directors are my favorites because they understand the process they also know i mean there's a lot of directors that will intimidate and yell and that doesn't work for actors you know that just makes you clam up and feel worse you know so he understood the environment you need to work in and collaborative environment about it so in that episode, Chrysalis, Lauren becomes very smitten with Nog, who at this point is an ensign in Starfleet. Uh, and Aaron Eisenberg sadly passed away not that long ago. Uh, but do you have any Aaron Eisenberg stories you could tell with us today? No, you know, I re I'm sorry, I don't. I think he was in makeup a lot of, you know, most of the time. And then we just, I just remember meeting him in makeup, like on the set, you know. Um, but I didn't, I, I, I wish I did. Sorry. Well, did you run into any of the other actors who were part of the show that may not necessarily have been part of the episode, but you got to at least interact with? Did you meet like Avery or Nana or Renee, even any of those folks? Um, I did. I met all of them. And then the, and they were so sweet. That's what I really liked about that set because they weren't stuck up and like, you're just like a day, you know, a week, you're just a guest star, which happens a lot. Um, they're very welcoming. Um, I can't remember the Irish actor's name. He was in a scene with Kalmini. us. Yeah, I love him. I mean, he I've seen like every movie of his. So I was really intimidated by him. And he was just he was just great. You know, he didn't make you feel that way at all. But everybody is really it's not it's a no nonsense set. Like everyone's there to do their work and everyone's friendly and sweet, you know. 
but um, it's definitely like a working set because that's a lot of work. That's like shooting a movie in a week every single week, and it's like clockwork. You got to get it done, you know. And um, it's it's costumes, it's it, it's makeup, it's you know, it's very precise. Every de- every department really, you know, it because it, it's such a watch show. The fans are so rabid that they can't make any mistakes. You know, they the la- the fake languages they speak have to be right on the, you know, because because they they really know their fans are watching their every move and they want to do a great job for them. So you know, every single department ran like clockwork. And was anything different about being on a Star Trek show as opposed to any other stuff you'd been on at that point? You know, like the the environment of the set, the costumes oh like that. Was that all, how was that for can you? you? Imagine, was that... Can you imagine being a child watching Star Trek and then going on the set where it's, it's all built? You we, you know, we went up on the galley. We walked all over every. There's all different sets where the where you're in the you know in the ship, outside the ship, gazing out into the universe. It's mind blowing, you know. It's just, it's. It was a great moment as an actor for me because that was one of my dreams as a kid. You know, I wanted to be on Batman, but you know that didn't. It wasn't still on, but I always wanted to be on Star Trek, and to make it, to have it come true, and to be walking around the sets. I mean, it was amazing. I am was so lucky. I was like pinch myself, and I felt really good because I'd really earned the role, and you know, beat out a lot of other people to get it, and you know. And even Ira was like, look, you know, I couldn't give you that part. And you really, you really earned it because, uh, you know, this is, this is a serious part, you know? And so that felt really, really good too, you know? So did you watch yourself uh, on any, any of those episodes when they first debuted on TV? Yes, I did. I mean, this is so strange. So back then you would have to hire, there's one guy in Hollywood, anytime we were on the TV, he would find it for you and he would tape it for you. And he lived in this house in Hollywood. This, I, I can't remember his name. He he was really overweight and, and almost like a hoarder because every single room was just filled with VHS tapes. And you'd call them up and you would pay him and go, look, I'm going to be, I don't know when it's on, but I'm going to be on Star Trek. They didn't even tell you when your shows are on. <laughs> so I he would track it for you and find you. And then he would tape them for you. So I got to see... I don't think I watched it live because you didn't know when it was on. And I, I had two children at that point and I think I was also shooting power. Oh yeah. I was shooting power Rangers at the same time when I did the second episode. Um, they were really nice with my schedule, you know, and I just had a baby. And, um, so I was shooting the power Rangers series at the same time, the second episode. So I, I didn't have time to watch myself so that the, this guy would tape everything for me. I think since you brought it up, I think we have to talk about Power Rangers, right? I mean, it's only fair. I think that's... Uh, I mean, come on. Yeah. I don't know if the fans... It's not really a crossover fandom. Whenever I do a Star Trek uh, convention, they don't, they're very disdainful of Power Rangers. Oh. And then the Power Rangers are just... They're a little more interested in the Star Trek, but they're... Yeah, they're very separate fandoms. Have you noticed? I mean, you probably don't know, but... Oh, luckily I've for noticed. me, I'm a fan of both, so it makes my life oh, easy. you are? Yay! Crossover! <laughs> my favorite. Yeah, and of course, you've done plenty of panels and things about Diva Talks already. You were Diva Talks in Turbo, the movie, and the TV series, and you also appeared a few times in Power Rangers in Space. And uh-huh. I know you've, you've talked in great detail about your role as Diva Talks, uh, which, you know, folks, if you really want to hear it, they can look it up on YouTube, many of your panels. But uh, I'm curious to ask you about your action figure, because you're the first guest in the show who's had an action uh, figure themselves. Uh, love my action figure so much. Um, it was incredible, and it really does look like me. <laughs> and then, you know, it's so funny, years later, uh, my younger daughter, who was a baby, I was pregnant during the Power Ranger movie with her. That's why I stepped away from the series when they were shooting until I could come back. You know, I missed the first like 20 episodes. And um, she, uh, she became friends with a little boy and his father was the one who made the action figure. Which oh, wow. was interesting. Yeah, they took a ton of pictures of me and oh, I lo- it's really cool to have one. And then there was I was in France at a wedding and I went into a store to buy my daughter some presents. And there was a mini action one of me in my submarine with all my different you know creatures. And I was teeny tiny, like an, like two inches tall. And I bought it. I tried to explain to them that that was me, but it was France and they didn't care. <laughs> I was like, can you give me this? <laughs> so, um, yeah, that there's another play set that I love that I still have. So I have, uh, they gave me a case of the action, not a case. I think they gave me like 10 action figure dolls and I gave them stupid. I gave, yeah, went to Ira and Laura Bear, um, but I gave, I gave them away to people and I should have kept them. I have one still in its package and then a fan sent me another one so i have two but i didn't i should have kept them i didn't realize how precious they were (laughs) 
So we talked to Juliana Donald fairly recently on the show as well. She was in Star Trek, but one of her earliest roles was in a Muppets movie. And she talked to us about the challenges of working with Muppets. What was it like for you to be doing Power Rangers where basically you have to react uh, while you've got characters who can't move their faces in any way or oh talk to you, respond to you in any way? Yeah, they can't hear you because they're in the suits. They clonk into you because they can't see a thing. And then there's another act. There's just a there's just a person off stage reading their lines like, oh, Auntie Diva, come here. You know, like not real actors. So the person inside the suit isn't acting. And later they dub the voices in. So you just really, you know, that's when the good improvising and believing in yourself comes into play. And I would use it like when they would bump into me, they'd be like, get off your stupid Christmas tree ornament or whatever. <laughs> I would just use whatever would happen because they would stumble upon you, hit you with their things, you know, and they were idiots. So that's perfect. So I just used it, you know. Yeah, you mentioned a little bit about where this character came from. And uh, I, yeah, the, I can really feel that improv in it. Uh, it's I, I love the character Demon Talk. She's just such a perfectly great heel, horrible, evil villain. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> tell us a bit more about how you developed the character, how you developed the voice and the, and the movement for Diva Talks. Playing an evil queen really came natural to me, I have to say. <laughs> came naturally. Um, when you're tall and dark with, you know, kind of weird blue eyes, people, that's what you get cast in. So I've kind of been training my whole life. But um <laughs> I definitely think it, you know, I, from watching Catwoman, from evil characters were always my favorite. I never, I never voted for like the good guys. So I always related to them. And I don't know, it just came naturally to me. I can't explain it. I just knew right away who she was. And I would say to them, look, um, let's make her really vain, you know, and let's, and they would make special props for me, like a mirror. There's things that were cut out. I was reading like, you know, Vogue in Space magazine. And, you know, I thought, thought, thought let's just make her the most, you know, self-obsessed person that ever lived. Because, you know, to be, to be a queen, you really have to be, and to, you know, to be a total bitch like she was and to think that she could rule the world, you know, it came easy. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to try and find like the most polite, respectful way to say this, but uh, I'm curious how you felt about the costume you had to wear, because I'm pretty sure you've probably heard things from a lot of Power Rangers fans. You may have helped a lot of young boys hit puberty. Uh, I'm just kind of curious well, what you love about wearing that outfit. Cause it was quite a revealing outfit for a, for a Power Rangers villain to have. All right. Well, what happened was, is the day I got the movie is the day I found out I was pregnant and I didn't want to tell them because I thought they were going to fire me. And I thought, okay, I'm going to tell the costume lady. They'd already made the costume. They'd already were approved. And I said, look, just make it. So it, you know, I'm, 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 this is my second pregnancy. I don't really show I'm very long wasted, but um, just make it so we can like let out, let it out a little bit. So by the time the movie was over, I was six months pregnant. So I had huge boobs not bit bad of a stomach. I'm really lucky that I don't, you know, show a lot. But um, my boobs just get getting bigger and bigger. And also, we would shoot out of sequence. So if you see the movie, sometimes they're small, sometimes they're big. <laughs> and I remember when they came to me, they said, "Look, we want you to do the series, but we're going to have to change your costume." I'm like, "I won't." By the time I do the series, I won't have those boobs anymore. If you watch the series, they're completely down again, you know. <laughs> but they covered me up more. But I, that was completely accidental. But I think it was it was great because. I also wanted to give all the, the poor parents who had to sit through these movies with their kids 20 times, not only with my humor, because a lot of the humor I did, I knew kids wouldn't get, but they would get. But, you know, they get to look at me. So it's good for them. <laughs> still a great role. It's still a wonderful performance. <laughs> and I still love that costume. So thank you for that. <laughs> and just on that note of action figures as well, um, I'm just as the toy collector, you know, are you or have you spoken to anybody from Hasbro about being part of their Power Rangers Lightning collection of figures? No, I don't. I wouldn't know who to speak to. Oh, no we need to change that. We need to make that happen. I know. I've had people tweet at me and say, we need to start a thing. And I'm like, I don't really do Twitter that much. So I, I come and go on that thing. And I don't know. So you make it happen. You do it. All right. I'll find a way. I'll get it done for Diva Find Talks. a way. Make it your, yeah. <laughs> make it your raison d'etre. <laughs> it's my life's mission now. That's right. A new mission, should you choose to accept it. <laughs> <laughs> now, aside from Diva Talks being this great evil character, you played another evil character that I think our fans might not be as aware of, and that was in Meatloaf's music video for his ballad uh, I'd Lie yeah, for You. CCC? Yes. I always do that. Tell us a little um, about yeah. playing. Uh, tell us a little about being in a Meatloaf music video, and that's a bizarre music video. I gotta say, it's like this crazy deep love ballad, and then meanwhile in the background, there's you in a jeep with some like fascist looking guy. There's explosions and gunfights, and it's it's crazy. So the guy who played that is Xander Berkeley, who, if you watch The Walking Dead, um, he had a huge part in that uh, Walking Dead. He was the he was the leader of Hilltop. So anyway interesting side note uh brett cullen who played the lead in it was a friend uh, my, his wife michelle little and i had done a movie called radioactive dreams together and so he suggested me to the, for the part 
cooked meatloaf. And um, I remember we drove out. It was supposed to be like a three-day shoot into the desert. And unfortunately, um, the day before I got there or the day I got there, there was a terrible helicopter accident where two people died in a helicopter crash making our video so we were there for like weeks while they decided what they were going to do and I remember like a week later they set up another helicopter and I had like this huge wig on with long long hair and they were flying they wanted to fly right behind me and I was like no I'm not doing it you know didn't you learn anything from the helicopter (laughs) crash you know I was like no thanks you know so I really put my foot down but um it was a, it was wasn't a great shoot because people had died, you know. Mm. So I don't have like fond memories of that shoot at all. It was really freaky and horrible. And I felt terrible. It was a father and son. So wah wah, sorry, but uh. yeah, it wasn't it wasn't great. But I did love that character, and I remember when I got that character, I was like, these are the kind of parts I want to play. I wish somebody would cast me like in a movie like that, you know. And um, I love being the crazy witch. It's like the best. Now, did you get to interact with Meatloaf Offset at all? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. He, he was great. Everyone called him meat. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. I was like, Mr. Loaf. He's like, call me meat. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he was great. It was just, it wasn't a great, you know, atmosphere because of what had happened though. You know, I mean, the reason I bring it up is because I've heard like these days he can be a little, uh, curmudgeonly, especially at signings and that kind of thing. I've got a friend who's like one of the nicest people in the world and he was just absolutely rude to her for like no reason. So like, was he nice mm-hmm. to everybody on set or was there like a he, little temper yeah. to him? No, he was nice. I just think everybody was so freaked out over the what had happened that I can't really judge and I don't have any but I have heard that about him. I think because we were working for him and all oh, trying to make this video together that he was nice to us maybe, but um, I have heard that he is a curmudgeon. Mm. So on a little bit more of a happier note, uh, I'd like to ask you about Diagnosis Murder, another show that you were in an episode of. Oh, yeah. And I'm just curious, did you get to do anything with Dick Van Dyke? Yes, I did. I was so excited. And when I when I got the part, I remember I wait, I, ha- I had, uh, you know, my two kids then, and I was just like, I don't know, maybe it's just one kid. I, who the hell? It's all the blur. But <laughs> I remember my babysitter had to leave and I was waiting and waiting. So I just went like knocked on the door of the audition. I'm like, look, I have to go if you, you know, if you can see me great, if you can't. And they said they really loved my attitude. I was like, wow, because that could have backfired. <laughs> but um I remember when I got the job and I went on the set and I got to work with Dick Van Dyke. I was like, I am such a huge fan of yours. And he was like, oh, you don't know me. I'm like, I watched the Dick Van Dyke show, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Like I went through all his and he was so sweet, so nice. And I remember his son was on the show and he was really nice. And everyone was like shocked because he was more of a standoffish person. But he was he he really liked me. So that was great. I, I was so happy to work with with dick van dyke that was just like my dream come true because as a kid i you know mary poppins i mean really was he one of the hardest actors to work with where you had to try and keep yourself composed while doing a scene yeah and i had to cry i remember i had to cry but he he put me at ease right away when i when i told him what a huge fan i was and he couldn't believe that i was old enough to know who he was instead of going uh sure i'm the huge star like he was so humble that it put me at ease right away and then i just had to really concentrate on like getting my tears out which is hard take after take after take you know I mean, how do you actually do that? You know, we haven't really talked to a lot of folks who've had to do a lot of on-scene crying, or at least I haven't asked about it. But since you brought it up, I mean, how the heck does an actor cry for a scene and continue to do that again and again, keep it real? Yeah, I mean, I learned the hard way because a lot of times, you know, you do different shots. You do, um, you do first you do an establishing shot where the camera's far away from you and they're getting the whole scene in. Then they come in for your close-ups and your, your two shots in a close-up save your tears for the close-up if you <laughs> i remember just crying hysterically first in the you know not on this show but when i was first starting and then by the time i got to my close-up i was like dried up i'm like shoot but um i would i would listen to music i would get myself into a state of but the best thing i really learned and this is what worked for me i mean a lot of my acting they teach you substitution where you're not really in the scene or like thinking of your dog died or whatever you know but I, for me, I like to really pretend like, you remember when you're a kid and you're just playing pretend and you're like, it's so real to you. I just like to pray, play pretend. I actually, I, I am that woman whose husband, you know, who's got a crazy person after them. And I just really believe that's my life. And it's so easy to do on a set because if you just can ignore the cameras, you're, you're in a police station, you're in, people are in their outfit, you know, they make it really easy for you to play pretend. Mm, yeah. And that's, and that's what I, what I do that, that works for me. I mean, everyone has their own thing, but I just pretend and it works. 
So one other thing you were in I want to talk about real quick is The 40-Year-Old Virgin. You were in that movie with Steve Carell. What do you remember from uh, being on that? It was really fun, but I was like cut out, so that wasn't that fun. <laughs> um, it was the funnest set. Uh, my friend Shauna produced it. She just asked me to show up, and and my friend Liz Carey. And I remember we had to like make out on this, make out and be you know lesbians together. And I don't, I think that was in the our, our version. But um, what was so great about that set? It was hysterical. We were all improvising. Um, they were very loose, and 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 when you have a big budget, they're not in a hurry. Like it's so different than doing a TV show where you have to get everything right. And I remember I thought of a really funny shot where Steve would walk in and he was on the dance floor, just standing there, and people were dancing around him, and he was like getting you know battered back and forth. And I told that to my friend Shauna. She told it to the director, and he liked it and shot that. And that that ended up being in the, all the coming attractions. I was in every coming attraction, dancing against him, you know, grinding on him while he stood there, like <laughs> help me. And that wasn't even in the movie, which was weird. But um, I remember like, wow, they used my shot and they used it as the coming attraction. <laughs> you know, that was cool. And I remember how funny Paul Rudd was. He won't remember me, but we were riffing together because you're just standing there and he would say something and I would say something. I, that's my favorite thing, but none of the things were in the movie. That's unfortunate. But at the plus side, you got to grind on Steve Carell and that's really a, an accomplishment right there that you exactly. can claim. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So just jumping real short back to your past here. Uh, so we talked about Johnny Depp earlier, but you were in a movie from 1987 called Hunk. And I think one of the most notable things yeah. about that is that Brad Pitt was in that film very early on. Uh, it's basically an extra. That is so funny. Well, I didn't realize this. I remember I was in Hawaii one year on vacation and there, and um, the Oscars were on. And I was like at a, you know, at the hotel bar. And I remember people had it on. And all of a sudden they're like, Oscars, 2000, whatever. And they're like, show me. And and they're like, oh, why are they talking about me for the Oscars? And then they go from behind, behind me and they they do a close up and Brad Pitt is right behind my shoulder. <laughs> and I had and he was just an extra and I had no freaking idea. I was acting up a storm in front of him and there was Brad Pitt right behind me. I did not see him, did not know he existed, completely didn't. I was like, how did I miss him? But, um, you know, it was his first job and he was just an extra. So I was probably a snot and didn't talk to the extras. I don't know. <laughs> but um the weirdest part about that is that Deborah Shelton, who played the lead, her husband was Shuki Levy at the time, who uh -huh. at that time, he was an, uh, an Israeli composer who came over. He didn't really speak English, but he sat on the set and he watched me. Later, he became, you know, one of the owners of the Power Rangers. Yep. And he remembered me when I came to audition. And he said, I remember you from that movie. I said, one day I'm going to work with that girl. And I think that really helped me get the part. So you never know who's out there watching you or what, you're, you know, who's going to hire you. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how small the world Hollywood really is. Yeah, it really is. So, Hillary, you have been a singer. You've been an improv comic. You've been an actress. You're also a board game maker. Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> I'm such a weirdo. Oh, that's, that's a great I'm resume great. to have. I mean, I, I wish I had something crazy and as big and broad as that, too. <laughs> I mean, uh, Daryl, Hannah, and I, uh, as you know, we're best friends. We used to have game nights all the time, and we would play games, and we would start making up games, and our made-up games would start getting so popular in Hollywood. Like, I remember Jamie Lee Curtis coming up just going, oh, we played your game the other night that, you know, with other people, and we we're like, we better freaking manufacture these before people start ripping us off. So that's how that came to be. Of course, all the game, you know, they're they're still sold on on, on um, Amazon, and we get no money for it. Uh, the game company we sold it to went bankrupt, and someone bought all their old stock. So we have a game called Library L I E Brary, where you you know make up first lines of books, and we don't get any money for it. So we got ripped off anyway. But it was fun. We 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 did three games, and it was so fun. Daryl and I love working together. Uh, right now we have. Um, our, like I mentioned before, Judaism's dot no offense, which is our Instagram where I am. It's my mom who's hilarious. It's actually me playing my mom. My mom's, you know, died a couple of years ago, but um, my Daryl and I, you know, Daryl grew up with my mom and um, everything she says on this Instagram is word for word. Nothing is made up. And um, she and I are working, working on that together. And um, it's actually being looked at to be, you know, more than just an Instagram, but it's early days right now. So we'll see what happens with that. But um, everything kind of stopped during the coronavirus pandemic. But I think that's, it's going to get that character is going to be developed into something more, but we love working together. Now, I want to ask you about what's coming up in the future for Hillary Shepard. And I know one of those things is a movie called The Order which has got a pretty big crew of Star Trek folks. And you got Marina Sirtis in that and Michelle Nichols. 
Uh, and there's also a few Power Rangers people in there too. You got Austin St. John, Walter Jones, David Yost, Catherine Sunderland. I mean, this is, this yeah, is something I, else. Tell I, us a little I about this. That. Um, that was just a put together by Karen Ashley, who was one of the Power Rangers. She's amazing. And also, um, oh, I can't think of his name. He, uh, he played uh, the guy in the tube um, in Power Rangers. Um, and um, they had all the money. We started shooting, and then something really strange happened. With they get all the money from GoFundMe, and then something strange happened, and we got shut down, and we never really found out what happened. So I don't know if that movie's still going to go. I felt so bad for Karen. She, you know, lost her shirt on that movie, and she raised all this money. She had to give it all back. It was very strange. I, I really don't know the ins and outs of it, but it was going to be a great movie. I don't know if that's going to get made. Um, Basically, right right now, you know, I, I moved out of Los Angeles to Newport Beach to be with my husband, and we live on the Bird Reserve. You saw my house for a second there, and I, I'm really retired. I mean, I, I you know, um, I, I, I surfed up until a while ago. I got in a bad surf accident in Fiji in October, but I really, the only things I've been doing, and, I, and this weekend it's going to be on Lifetime, I do tons of movies for Lifetime, <laughs> and I just do them because they call me, and I go, I don't audition, I don't even have an agent anymore, I just literally, they call me, and I do these fabulous, hysterical, they're not hysterically funny, but they're just really great, you know, edge-of-your-seat movies, and they're always starring Vivica Fox and Eric Roberts, I just um, have another one coming out, and this weekend, they're called The Wrong, so it's like The Wrong Student, The Wrong Neighbor, The Wrong, you know, Female, The Wrong Teacher, and um, I do a bunch of those, and um, I think they they do marathons of them, so you can see me in all those, and then there's a Christmas movie um, that I did for Lifetime 2, um, it's called a husband for Christmas. It's always on. So basically I just do lifetime movies now. Also <laughs> <laughs> well, good life. It's a good, it's a good way to do it. Yeah. And I'm happy. I mean, I worked my whole life. I worked since I was a teenager and, um, you know, I love acting. It's really fun. But at my age, I just didn't want to be going on auditions. And, you know, my friends like Roseanne Arquette and Daryl Hannah, they were famous movie stars. And it's hard to get jobs as you get older, you know. So I thought you know, I wasn't even famous, really. So it's it's a great life because I get a call and I'm like, sure, I'll show up. And I don't have to stress about it. And I do, you know, I surf, I do stained glass, I knit, I you know, I have a really quiet life down here. Nobody knows me. You know, it's great. I love not living in Hollywood. And um, I live on, you know, the beautiful canal and right next to the beach. And it's fun. I earned it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. 100% you did. So for the aspiring actors that are listening today, what would be your advice to them on how to really take their acting to the next level? Well, this is the thing. It's such a different world than when I grew up. I mean, I, we didn't have Instagram. We didn't have any means. If you wanted to get a job back then, you could not. You had to rely on other people. You had to get an agent. You had to go on auditions. We had headshots. If we got a part, we had to drive, pick up your sides, you know, during the day and drive back. You, you couldn't even get them, you know, online or anything. Eventually, you could have towards the end of my career. But you guys have such a great advantage. You can make funny Instagrams, YouTubes, you know, TikToks. People are getting famous, you know, from that. Um, I think nowadays when they cast you, they go to see on how many Instagram followers you have. So if you want to be an actor or an actress, like, do it. Just do it. You're, you can do it now for yourself, you know, and get yourself out there. It's so much better. So, Hillary, how do folks uh, find out about what you're doing these days? Uh, you can go to at Hillary Shepard on Instagram. There's some funny things on there where I reenact my Star Trek Deep Space Nine part and I talk back to the character or I, you know, talk along with her. So if you look at some of my old Instagram posts, I, I'll do some more in the future. If you guys like them, I got some great response to that. I even did a, I'm Yvonne and this is it. Golden girls one. I oh, do nice. a power ranger one. So that's at Hillary Shepard. And, um, I have the real diva talks on Twitter, which I don't really tweet that much, but, and I have a Facebook fan page, the real diva talks. So you can follow me on all those things and check out um, Daryl Hannah and my Instagram, Judaisms.NoOffense. Um, it's really funny. And that's how you can find me. And also watch Lifetime because I'm always on there. <laughs> all right. So last question for you today, Hillary, and that's what is your favorite thing about being a part of the Star Trek universe? Uh, my favorite thing is the fandom. I mean, it's just it's uh, I, you just, you know, as an actor back then, you when we didn't have social media, you didn't get any feedback. You didn't know. I had no idea that people remembered me and knew who I was. And when I went to my, you know, first Star Trek convention, I couldn't believe how many people knew who I was and remembered me. And I love 
I love that it's a fandom that never goes away. And same thing with the Power Rangers. It's just, it's great. So thank all of you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and I got to say, yeah, it's easy to see why you're such a fan favorite at conventions. It's been a real, real pleasure to talk to you today. It's been a real joy, a lot of great stories. So thank you for your time. And thank you for being just so great with all the fans like myself and everybody else who's listening today. Great. Thank you so much. Bye, everyone. That was our discussion with Hillary Shepard, who was an absolute blast to chat with. I've got to add, when she called me for this interview, she accidentally had it sent on video first. And let me tell you guys, Hillary has not aged a day. She looks exactly the way she did in the 90s, so she's either got an amazing skincare routine, great genetics, or is possibly some kind of daywalking vampire. Either way, she remains gorgeous, and she was so much fun to speak with. I definitely urge you guys out there to say hi to her if you ever run into her at a convention sometime. Statistical Probabilities was one of Alexander Siddig's favorite episodes of Deep Space Nine, who enjoyed both the humor and the political issues it touched upon. Initially, the jackpack scenes were planned to take place in the wardroom, but they were moved to the cargo bay in order to give them more space, and also as a nod of how Starfleet may be perceiving these characters, and how they were treated not necessarily as well as the average human being would have been. Add to that that the fact that they were essentially dumped on Deep Space Nine and left to be dealt with by Bashir with very little instructions, it tells you a lot about what they were kind of planning to go for with how those characters were meant to be perceived in the very beginning. But of course, as we saw in the episode, they proved themselves to be just as valuable as every other member on board Deep Space Nine. And sure, they may have briefly cosplayed as some Starfleet admirals, but you know what? They looked pretty good cosplaying in those Starfleet admiral uniforms. I think they would have fit in just fine if Starfleet decided to actually involve them as part of the organization. For you Star Trek collectors out there, two of the outfits Hillary wore in this episode ended up as part of the It's a Wrap sale and auction, which took place at the end of 2006 and into late 2007. You could have had them for relatively cheap, too, as one went for slightly over $108, with the second selling for just under $130. That's a pretty great bargain to own a piece of Star Trek history, if you ask me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Trek Untold. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this show, and if you can, leave a review and rating. We would appreciate it very much if you did. You can also follow us on social media. Just look for Trek Untold on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you there. And of course, we'd like to hear your thoughts about this week's episode. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can check out patreon.com slash trekuntold to learn how you can keep our ship operating at full power. And you can also check out some of our merchandise at teespring.com slash stores slash trekuntold. Once again, thank you to our sponsor, Triple Fiction Productions. This has been Trek Untold. I'm Matthew Kaplowitz, and until next time, fortune favors the bold.